You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I use the bad guys. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have... What? Someone on TV said it. In a world where superheroes have been outlawed, one podcast, one renegade podcast decides... Well, screw it. We're going to talk about them anyway. That's right. The 602 Club is here to talk about The Incredibles 2, and we have waited so long. And I'm so glad that we have back to talk about The Incredibles, just as we did with the first show, Christy Morris. We're breaking the law. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm okay with it. So, uh, no, I'm super excited to be back. Uh, you know, super get it. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even do that on purpose, honestly. Uh, but I am very glad that we are back to talk about the Incredibles too. It's been a long wait. Uh, before we dive in, of course, you know, find us everywhere. Is if you're searching for podcasts. Uh, so glad that you found the Six Hundred Two Club. If you like the show, hit us up with a star rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show, and it helps us rise in those strange iTunes rankings. And And we like hearing what you think, because if you give us a, a star rating and review, we'll call you out on the show, and thank you. So uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at TrekFM, where you should be following us. On Facebook, at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, make sure you like us. And then, of course, we've got the Listeners Only Discussion Group, which is also on Facebook. And that is a place for everyone to gather around the network and talk about the different shows and all the topics that are going on there. So go over to Facebook, type Babel into the search field, and that'll bring you there. Also, if you are on the website at trek.fm, you can click discussion on any of the menu bars, and that will also bring you to that group. And last but not least, if you would like to send us an email, which we love getting, go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, Choose the 602 Club, and that email comes to me and any host that was on that week, and that way we can talk to you that way. So, so many different ways to contact us, but as I alluded, Christy, we have waited 14 long years for this movie, and not only have we waited, there was an apology about this before the movie started, which I thought was pretty funny that they just straight up, look, we get it, 14 years, sorry about that. Um, Man, what a wait. Oh, this was unprecedented. I mean, first of all, I don't think any other time with Pixar have there been 14 years between the sequels. No, no. (laughs) And then uh, the first time we've ever gotten an apology video, I guess because they felt like it's been this long. We probably owe it to the fans of the, the first Incredibles movie to say what's been going on, you know, it, it, that it's, that's a big amount of time. I mean, gosh, a, a whole child is almost ready to drive again. 
That's actually true. Like, if a child was born the year The Incredibles came out, they are a teenager now. Yeah. Like, that's insane. But it was oh, nice, though, gosh, that crazy. they had, you know, the, the main actors. Um, I can't remember all their names, but Samuel L. Jackson, Holly Hunter were in it for sure. Uh, Craig T. Nelson. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, and they said, look, we're really sorry it took so long. They kind of said some things that we already know if you know about how Pixar movies are made. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, so why did that take 14 years and the other ones didn't? You know, I, I think that's the thing. You know, I I wrote in my written review, I was like, look, this is the movie I feel like that every time they announced a sequel to another Pixar film, the question was always, but when are they doing another Incredibles? Because this movie and this, this series, like, of all of the Pixar movies, to me, this one makes the most sense to have sequels to. Well, right, because, I mean, Toy Story got two sequels in that amount of time, and it didn't have Cars the cliffhanger sort of like The Incredibles' first movie did. You know, I mean, they left it off where Syndrome had just died, and you've discovered Jack-Jack's powers. And the Underminer had arrived. Right? I mean, yeah. So you got to know what happens I- with him. Well, and, and, and on top of that, yeah, when I looked at the films that did get sequels, I'm like, I didn't really enjoy Finding Dory all that much. Mm. You know, I didn't, that's not a movie that needed a sequel. Uh, Cars is an okay Pixar film to me, but I did not need a sequel to either, you know, either of the sequels. Mm-hmm. Toy Story, we got lucky in the fact that both of those sequels are excellent. In fact, the third Toy Story may be one of the, uh, just a, I mean, it's just hands down a great movie and Not an emotional movie. roller coaster yes. that you're like yes. hesitate yes. to pick it up ever again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, do I want to ball my eyes out as I watch my childhood toys almost die in a lava? Pit? Do I want um, Lotso to make me really scared? No. Right. Um. So yeah, well, I mean, when I just look at the movies that got sequels, I'm like, ah, really. But I, I'm so glad that they finally did come back 14 years later because I, I really do think this is a movie, um, as we talked about last time, with all the themes and everything that they use, you can really do some interesting stuff. And I think that they do in this film because this whole movie is about, okay, obviously the family has has used their powers now together. And the whole point of this film is about the idea of can we bring supers back? And I was really struck by how their friend, uh, who's been helping them this whole time, you know, he's the one who's always <laughs> making sure that they got um, a new home when something happened. Oh, yes, Mr. You know, Dicker. Yes, he's awesome, but I he said something that was really poignant, and he said, politicians don't understand people who do good things. That makes them nervous. Mm. Like, and it was it was fascinating to me to that this movie, I mean, this movie's set in the 60s, so it has some sex, 60s sensibilities to it, but this whole idea that even at that point, we're living in a world where people are becoming so cynical that they can't understand people doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Right. They assume everyone's got to have something in it for them. Yes. Like, everybody has to have an agenda. And I think 
when I when I was watching the movie, I was like, wow, that is a really awkward mirror to be shining in our world because that's kind of the world we live in today. Like, no matter who you are, what you do, like, everybody thinks there's always some kind of agenda instead of, you know what, I just, I was just trying to be a nice person, you know? Right. Like, you can't even be just a nice person anymore because everybody always thinks, oh, there's some other angle. And, like, watching that here, I was like, dang, that is, that's, that's a, that's a kind of a damning statement against our culture that we live in. Right. And I mean, it even kind of felt like, you know, when you you can tell what someone's thinking, but you're not sure if they're going to come out and say it. I feel like Pixar in this movie came out and said it. And, you know, that they're directly speaking to the world saying, hey, this is you. And they're not afraid to say that they think that there needs to be a change. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, because specifically this whole idea of like people don't, your politicians and just people in general don't understand people who do good things. Like we do kind of live in this world where it has become a place, I think, we're so driven by ourselves and kind of the selfishness that we, and, and this cynicism um, that we don't do the good things that we could do just because they're the right thing to do right. anymore. And yeah, I I really liked that this movie was touching on that because it, and honestly, it especially at the beginning of the movie when Dicker says that, it's just, it made me really sad. I was like, oh gosh, that's, I, I wonder how many people actually picked up on that because I don't know. It was it was interesting to watch it kind of permeate the entire film. It kind of flows into what we see for the villain. It affects every single superhero uh, in, in this world. And, you know, uh, to bring it out again into our world, it's like, wow, hmm, that I, I hope people saw that. I'm glad you brought that up because I did too see that in this movie and the one before and I'm glad that they stuck with that um, tone to it and it even brought up for Mm -hmm. me the difference in how Evelyn the villain versus her brother could see the same incident completely differently you know yeah she sees it as we depend too much on superheroes to do everything for us. And he sees it as this is why they're great because they could have saved my parents. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I, I had kind of um, thought of that as the idea of that the villain with a point, mm-hmm. you know, like she does kind of, and what I think makes this so strong, you know, we talk about with superhero movies here all the time, you know, creating a villain where you can somehow key into what they're saying. Obviously, we always don't, we don't side with them, but there, there's some truth to what they're saying, and her thought process is is actually kind of um, Lex Luthorish. That's the reason he, one of the big reasons in the comics, he doesn't like Superman. Mm-hmm. He feels like Superman is holding the world back from being what it could be because we rely too much on Superman. Right. Instead of doing anything themselves, they just go, oh, Superman mm-hmm. will fix it. Right. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the rest of the world, for the most part, sees Superman as 
what we consider like a beacon of hope and and like what we could be what we can be at our best right Mm -hmm. like we see him as an example Uh, but the villain here screen slaver and and evelyn she sees him as somebody who makes people you superheroes make people lazy and she sees that exemplified in her parents who her dad relied on superheroes instead of just going into his safe room Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you this because it it, it 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 created a dichotomy for me. So there's nothing wrong with trusting in super people in this universe. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to do things on our own. And it And it seemed like she couldn't see that, yeah, maybe her father just hadn't, he didn't have the balance right. Right, that maybe he was a little too dependent, and um, if he had gone into the safe room, you know, that it's it's sort of that phrase of, like, God helps those who help themselves um, sort of thing, that you, it's not that you don't have any responsibility at all, like you said, Matt, you know, that you do have some responsibility to do something on your own without just sitting and waiting for the supers to do everything. Mm -hmm. So, and I like even that throughout this movie, before you find out who the villain is, they have these um, third person voices saying these quotes um, while the action is happening with Elastigirl, Um, you know, from the screenslaver, Yes. Saying things like people are becoming too lazy and um, I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. things that he said, but, you know, it, it was those things talking while the action is happening. And I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad that you brought that up because it was so interesting because in some ways, again, this is where the villain, I think, has a real point. And and. What was interesting is to see that it's it was transcending slightly the 60s that were in in the film and kind of speaking more to a modern audience. But mm-hmm. like this whole idea, you don't actually talk. You listen to talk shows. You don't, you know, actually involve yourself in real romance. You just watch romantic soap operas, you know, those kind of things. Like you have become nothing but a consumer and not a doer of life. Right, like, like passive and, and not participating. Yes, 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 absolutely. And in there, I think, again, it's interesting because the villain truly does have a point. And especially when we look at the world that we live in today, it's even worse. Like, yeah, I mean, we do have... And, and that consumeristic mentality also feeds into what we were talking about at the beginning, we don't do things that are good just because, and we don't do things that are right just because they're the right thing to do because we might not get anything out of it. We look at everything as, as we're a consumer instead as we're a human being. And we don't look at other human beings as human beings. We just, we look at them as a commodity that's either going to service or make us better, or, you know, whatever. And I, I really like, because in some ways, she does have a point there. But I also think the one thing that I, I saw that was really interesting is where her point is mistaken is that superheroes allow us to admit when we can't handle something ourselves. 
and that is a huge part of being a human and that we need to that connection and we need to be able to trust other and other people in our lives and people around us to help i mean our society doesn't work if we don't have a certain level of trust you know like mm -hmm. in, in in certain forms of of law enforcement and like all this stuff and i think you know <laughs> you can look at our world today and see the the erosion of trust everywhere um in every sector of life and how much it's hurting us as a just a species in general oh yeah and it, especially i'm glad that you mentioned with law enforcement because i do feel like there's a certain level that we can't trust law enforcement anymore you know that just because someone is a police officer they're going to always have my best interest at heart mm -hmm. um because we've seen firsthand that sometimes they look out for themselves first rather than the public first um and that there's bad people in any profession it doesn't you know make you a good person just because you're uh this um yeah but you know it doesn't mean that there aren't good people that are law enforcement so i like that this movie really brings those things all to your front of mind and says you know you shouldn't distrust everyone but you shouldn't trust everyone either there's a an answer somewhere in the middle right and i think that's that's the thing that is um interesting to me because in, in the end i think what that really comes down to is it comes down to discernment right that's that's part of what it means to be growing up um to be a person as you grow up is to learn from experience those that you can trust and those that you cannot trust and an understanding how that works and you know, having guides along the way to help you. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, as we kind of mentioned, I mentioned earlier Superman, but, you know, these heroes are, are people that I think, you know, when you see like uh, Helen and Bob, uh, they are people who want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And that was also an interesting point because the juxtaposition between Evelyn slash screensaver and Helen slash Elastigirl, you know, Evelyn says, you know, we could have been friends if it hadn't been for all those morals and values that you've got. Mm -hmm. And that's what separates them. Like, Evelyn is the quintessential consumerist in some ways. Like, she completely, 100% does not trust anyone or anything. Everybody is out. She she has to take care of only herself. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Helen on the other side is somebody who completely believes that we are here for each other. Right. And I, that, that juxtaposition, I think, is fascinating. But part of that comes from Helen holding to these kind of classic moral standards of decency and behavior and love towards common, you know, you know fellow mankind, you know, mm -hmm. fellow people kind. So... And her kids. I mean, you know, it shows, too, like she's been able to grow and have a family and is looking out for them. And in addition to everyone else in the world. And Evelyn has no one. I mean, she's got her brother, but then she betrays him, too. Mm hmm. So, yeah, well, I like that. Yeah. No. And I like you bringing up her brother because there was something really interesting that happened um, with 
with her brother. When they first meet him, you know, he he has the line that you've seen in the trailers probably where he said, you know, it's time to make some wrong things right. It helpfully brings supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes. And I get what he's saying because in some ways that's true. But to me, what was really interesting is how this movie was, again, mirroring our own world where perception is reality. Mm-hmm. Where that's not that's not quite how it works. But in this world, we see in The Incredibles 2, it's all about opinion polls. It all That's all that matters. As long as we get the mass majority of people on our side with opinion, that's what makes something right. And And... Whereas whether or not these superheroes should be able to do what they do because it's the right thing to do. It's irrelevant. (laughs) Yeah, it's irrelevant, which it was it was really interesting to see how this is playing out, because. In the end. Opinions don't make something right or wrong. Mm -hmm. They're just uh, opinions of the masses or the mob. Right. Right. And so just because everybody says that it's the right thing to do, well, I mean, you know, that kind of logic gives us Hitler. Or the whole thing that your mom always told you, if so-and-so jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just because they're doing exactly. it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> well, and, and I thought that, yeah, again, that's the I the, the depth the, to which... They are talking about the world we live in and trying to get us, I think, to question the world we live in was fascinating. And like just seeing that about, you know, there is a sense where your perception, how how you see the world, just your eyes in general, what they show you, uh, it, it makes your reality. But when it goes to the, to the being at this level, um, that's just we know that's taking it too far and so that's the real difference i thought was that fascinating as well is that you know elastigirl mr incredible frozone and a lot of these other superheroes what they hold to is a as a classic moral standard that the reason that they do what they do is because it's the right thing to do mhm and that that's that's their call. I, I I should help people. I have the ability to help people, therefore I help people. And what I think is fascinating too is when we look at that, it goes farther than just like, oh well, I don't have superpowers, right? But how then to what what is it within my means to be able to help others? Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I think that's the the beauty of seeing these superheroes and the example that they set. They have these specific skill set that I don't have but what's in my skill set what's in my wheelhouse to be able to do then to help other people yep I agree absolutely so I wanted to ask you about this because this is something that I I found really interesting is from Mr. Incredible to Mr. Mom (laughs) (laughs) and I I thought it was kind of fascinating to watch you know as, as I mentioned earlier this is a movie that is based in the 60s. And so the attitude that 
Bob has about being a breadwinner and being the man of the family and all of those things is very much based in the 60s. Um, what did you think about the way the story played out with him going from being the person who defines himself kind of as being Mr. Incredible to being a person who, who truly makes that transition we saw in the first movie where it's more about him being a dad? I wasn't um, at first really happy about the way that they did this transition because at first it came across really um, preachy of the overly feminist agenda. So it felt very much like, well, he just can't stand it that his wife is better at something than he is. And he's just fighting it every step of the way that she's going back to work and he has to stay home with the kids and you know, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I do think that it's a good thing that they're showing that Elastigirl is powerful on her own as well. Um, not that she has to work alone, but that she's every bit as capable as Mr. Incredible is. And that he then realizes what she was saying back in the first movie, that this is your children's mm -hmm. lives and you're missing it. And he realizes, you know, after all his lack of sleep and everything with trying to cope with being a stay-at-home dad at first, um, he sees, oh, I'm not looking deeper at the situation and how I could be a better father to my kids. And so then he realizes and talks to Violet. I love that one-on-one -on -one moment where he says, I didn't realize when I told Mr. Dicker about Tony that you liked that, you know, him wiping Tony's mind would then affect you like it has. And he said, I just, I did not think about that. And I'm so sorry that I didn't think about how that affected you and our relationship. And she realizes, wow, my dad is saying, I'm sorry. And um, then he's helping his son with his math homework. Whereas before, I think he really just left everything to Helen and went about his day. Um, and then, you know, he's learning about Jack-Jack's powers and that Jack-Jack was the star of this movie. <laughs> it was so funny. The fight um, with the raccoon. I'm just throwing oh my that gosh. out there. <laughs> oh my gosh. So good. I, I like what you're saying because I, I think it is really interesting to, to watch this happen. And I was thinking back to the first movie and then the conversation that they have here when they're in bed and they're talking about it and, you know, obviously he's having a hard time. But if you think to Mr. Incredible, he has spent years being in a job that is demeaning and demoralizing and there's absolutely no joy in his life production-wise as a human being, whereas Helen, she has chosen to be a stay-at-home mom and as hard as parenting is, there are those joys that come from it, you know, mm -hmm. like and, and that's the thing that I thought was actually so beautiful about this movie is that, you know, for him, he thinks to be successful, he needs to be Mr. Incredible in every place. But what his kids need is for him just to be dad. Right. And and he then gets to experience the joys of what it means to be a parent like this, to 
help your kid with their homework and see them finally get it. To have a one-on-one with your kid when they didn't necessarily want to open up, but they finally did. You know, um, getting to watch your child who's a baby start to to do things like take their first step or here you know obviously discovering the fact that their power they have these powers and all right helen says you saw his first power (laughs) (laughs) yes but i i was i was so moved by a movie that took a father figure and and really brought it home how beautiful and important it is for a father to be intimately involved with his children's lives you know and it it made me think of all the the dads that I know you know I have some great friends who are dads and I know that you know they get home from work they've had a really long day and they still make the time to play with their kids or help them with their homework and and be active with them until it's bedtime Mm -hmm. you know even though they put in a full day you know like and they may have had people yelling at them or you know all that stuff and 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 so I thought it was really neat to be able to see uh, I think just a movie too that just celebrated parenthood and fatherhood and motherhood and family like this and I that just doesn't happen very often and I thought it was pretty beautiful, especially since this movie came out on Father's Day. Right. It was kind of the perfect time for this movie to come out in a really, you know, a- emotional and a good way movie for people to go see for Father's Day weekend. Um, it, yeah, I, I really love those moments. I love that Helen also struggles with leaving. You know, she's sort of inventing reasons why she he might need her to come back. <laughs> she goes, I'll come right now. And he goes, no. It's fine. I've got this. Um, and so then it also kind of becomes that thing, which I'm sure, you know, to just in a marriage in general, you don't want them to know that you've <laughs> messed up. And you're like, no, I, I've got this. Everything's fine. We're fine here. How are you? <laughs> um, and it, it it was great too to then see, like I said, like to see Jack Jack finally develop and see all the things he's capable of. And, you know, I guess they didn't notice it when he had the interaction with syndrome in the first movie because he was way up in the sky, I guess. Um, But his interaction too with um, Edna and getting his own suit. Yeah. (laughs) Was great. And, and I love that Edna says the thing that I've always joked about whenever I become a parent um, that you can't just solve everything with a cookie yeah (laughs) she was like that always ends in demon baby and you don't want that (laughs) yes yes i mean just that whole idea of like you can't give your kid everything that they want it's not good for right and i always knows yeah i always said that if 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 i had a kid that every time they cry i'd be like here's a cookie and that you can't do it like that but yeah edna going through all of the different stages with him when they first meet and she's just totally closed off she's like i don't do children i am on my own i am a fashion designer it's not my thing gross children and i have a friend who is like that she is totally not a children person and then the baby she sees can morph and grows hair and mirrors her and then she just kneels down and goes 
Fascinating. <laughs> and then she decides to kick Robert out, let him get some sleep and babysits. And I love that Robert, too, says to his kids, they go, you're letting Edna babysit? And he goes, I know I should be worried, but I'm fine. Yes. Yes. I. Well, and, and what I thought was kind of um, beautiful about that is, you know, Again, what I thought was really cool is how the the theme of the idea that we can admit that we need help. Bob has to get to that point. Mm -hmm. He can't do it all on his own. He needs help. And so he allows Edna to help him and it makes all the difference. But I also thought that, that was kind of beautiful because... You know, we saw in the first movie that Bob was helpful. You know, he, you know, there's that scene where he's having a great time at this new job, quote unquote, you know, and he's like helping around the house. He's helping the kids, you know, and everything. So we know that he has done that before. But you you see this whole thing like here, it's like there's a reason why two parents are better than one, you know, because you it, 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 something has to give if there's only one of you. Right. And I, I thought it was kind of beautiful, the whole point of like, uh, do we trust superheroes, right? But do we, we, we trust each other to be okay to say, you know what, I need help. I thought that was really nice. Yeah. And I love too that, and maybe not everybody caught this, but that Frozone is the one that says, I think you need a special kind of help because your child is exceptional or, you know, a little bit different than other kids. Maybe you need someone who understands this situation better than other people. So that could also apply to families who like, I have several friends who have kids with autism. And so mm -hmm. a regular babysitter may not be the best person for them. They need to find someone who has experience with kids with autism because they, you know, know their quirks better. And so I like that yes. he's like, you know, Edna is really the person you need to go to because your kid is a super kid. You know, you can't call mm -hmm. Carly back. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. There's just so much about this movie that I find um, fantastic in that. And so another thing that really stuck out to me that I thought was really, there's that little scene around the table after the underminer incident has happened, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's very funny uh, because they're sitting at the table and they're having the argument about using their powers and all that stuff. And Dash is like, I have powers. That's what defines me. And Bob's like, wait, what? And I heard somebody say it on TV. And it's just what I loved is that and I thought was really smart is that Bob and Helen they want their children to have the choice to be able to use the abilities they have. But they also know that their children don't have the ability or the cognitive ability to make that choice now, to choose who they're going to be at the age of six or even the, you know, the age of Violet. I think she's supposed to be, what, 14, 15? Mm -hmm. And so... um just this 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 whole thing that i think is so smart in this film like allow children to be able to grow to be experience life 
and get to the point where they're old enough then to make life-altering decisions when they are more fully formed, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. when their brains are finished developing, you know? So, which is quite a long time. And I thought that that was kind of beautiful, that they want their children to have this opportunity, but they don't want their children to be making this choice just yet. Right. And, I mean, it is really funny that Dash says that. (laughs) He's like, I got it from TV. Because it does show that, you know, he doesn't have that maturity yet. He's just spouting off things because he heard someone else say them. He doesn't actually know anything Mm -hmm. about that or know what really defines him. You know, he's just knows that he loves to run. So I I think that it's perfect that you said that. And and Violet, too, you know, even though she has these powers of force fields and everything, she's still a 14-year-old girl that can't drive yet. Her parents Mm -hmm. have to drive her everywhere. She hasn't been on her first date yet. And then you see her, you know, walking invisibly with the shirt showing to get the ice cream out of the freezer. She's got that level of immaturity to her. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely not there yet and should have more time to mature before they're involved in everything. And I like that their parents are still protecting them and saying what are you doing here in the underminers vehicle yeah (laughs) you were supposed to be out there where you're safe with the baby where's the baby Mm -hmm. well and and what i thought was kind of beautiful too is you know at the end of the movie it's it's nice to see you know the when they're like oh are you mad at us and she's like no i'm so proud of you Mm -hmm. you know and part of that is that Finding the way as a parent to nurture your child and and to allow them to to grow into who they are going to become and allowing them the ability to explore in a in a safe environment their you know potential mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know again I just I think it's really nuanced and it's really well done so I just I love that part of the movie um. I have to say, too, this this movie continues to be the best Fantastic Four movie, yeah, uh, we've ever seen. Like this is truly a fan a Fantastic Four. I love the family, and I love how good this movie is as a superhero film. Like I, I think the action in it, especially with what they were showing the powers available to somebody who's elastic was just really cool. Like they put so much thought into how she could use her powers. Mm-hmm. I was blown away. Yeah. Especially with her stopping the train, I thought was amazing. You know, all of the different tricks she did where she was breaking the bike into two parts and then twisting around to stop things and mm-hmm. speed faster over buildings. That was really cool. And I think too, I, we mentioned in the last movie that the animation has come a long way since the first movie. You know, the the spot where it really stood out to me as not great was in the first movie when Helen and the kids fall in the water. It looks like they have shiny slime on them rather than water. And, and this movie, I didn't notice any of that. You know, it's very clear that this was made in the last couple of years where computer animation has come a lot further. So I was really happy with that. Um, but yeah, it, it was 
a really great movie in a, in a lot of ways. I think that the only thing that kind of drew back for me was I felt like the exposition went a little long in the second movie. Um, you know, it kind of took a little while before you got to the villain actually doing some things, but I loved the brother and sister team being the, the unsuspecting villain. You don't realize that they're going to come out and, you know, she's going to be the one doing everything behind the scenes. Yeah. I thought, um, that, it was nice. I, I felt like, you know, the the film itself with the action and the pacing, um, it, it did feel like it was very deliberate at the beginning to set things up um, and to set up, you know, you got the big action set piece with the underminer mm-hmm. and then that creates the problem, which is, no, superheroes are completely gone, outlawed. In fact, the government, it, it's programmed to help superheroes if something goes wrong, is shut down now. Um, and this whole idea of, you know, having, uh, William, uh, come to them and say, Hey, I want to help you. I want to bring supers back, uh, because he's kind of a fanboy of supers like his dad was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, what, what I liked about it was that he's sincere in that. So his his he really is sincere in in that idea. Like he he could be the snake oil salesman kind of guy, right? Where he turns out to be the bad guy. But I liked that he was actually somebody who yes, he's great at selling things. He he's great at talking people into things. But he actually did sincerely believe that superheroes should be back, and he right. was willing to put his money and his time and his effort and all his connections where his mouth was. Um, and so I thought that was great. Um, and yeah, it just, it was, I don't know. There's something about that 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 struck me and I really enjoyed, enjoyed it. So. And that there's one person in him that is not cynical. (laughs) It was nice to see, you know, it's sort of a, a fanboy come out of the supers when everybody else in the world at the time was angry at them for breaking everything. Yes. Yes. Well, and... Like what I thought was was kind of interesting too about the movie. It's it's like this this whole thing I I think is fascinating to me because the 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 reason that superheroes as we we're talking about at the very beginning are outlawed is because we live in this world where anybody trying to do good we always put on them all of these other motivations and it reminds me so much of so many of the superhero movies we see now. Like we we are we're so far gone from the idea that people can help each other um, and that we might need some sort of like help like this. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's that's pretty much what, you know, Man of Steel is all about, you know, that mm-hmm. why his parents are so scared for him to come out into the world. They don't know how people are going to react. And then when you see in Batman v Superman, people don't react all that well. Right. You know, like, um, but we see that in a lot of superhero movies these days. Like, there's just this, this cinema, there is this cynicism of the age that is kind of destroying our ability to enjoy life and storytelling. And, like, everything has to be so, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. But it just, it's fascinating to me that this movie is kind of reflecting that. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell that, you, 
a quote that I love that I think will um, make you feel inspired as well. And, you know, that I hope everybody else possibly has heard before is it's from a chick flick, but um, there's a character in um, a Diane Lane movie called Under the Tuscan Sun that says never lose your childish enthusiasm. And I have always loved that quote because it's true that, you know, no matter what age you are, you should always have that, you know, joy within you and not let the cynicism of the world get to you and take that joy away um, so that you can still Mm -hmm. go in and have a good time with something and not constantly be thinking about the negatives. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, I guess it reminds me, you know, of the, the classic, you know, Bible saying of faith like a child. Mm-hmm. Like that there is this, there is something about us and there's definitely something as we saw, we were talking about earlier, this world that has created this uh, milieu, to use a French phrase, <laughs> where we cannot, we just can't, like the world is so messed up, we can't accept people doing good and right for the right reasons because it's the right thing to do, and there's no agenda behind that. Mm-hmm. And and we just like in, in Batman v Superman where they say every action is a political action. That's not that that's not true. We have made it that way, right? But it's not. But always. it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. So yeah, I I think it's beautiful to watch this movie kind of talking about some of those really deep themes and stuff. And it, I, I and think it's a kids movie. I, yes, <laughs> yes. It's kind of like you know when you watch the Clone Wars and you're like, wow, they went there Star Wars wise, right? And you're like, this is a kid show. People are like, that's um, a cartoon. So yeah, uh, it's great stuff. And so I think Brad Bird has really given us some some. Gr- some good stuff to think about um for you where where does this one rate do you think so um for me compared to the first movie that one really blew me out of the water this one didn't quite as much um and maybe that's just me um being a person who's not usually a fan of sequels for some reason for a lot of times with me it has felt like a a sequel it just doesn't quite ever live up to the original um sort of I think of it as like when I saw the Lion King it blew me away it was this incredible movie and then Lion King 2 I was like "Mm." you know it felt like the story just wasn't quite as strong um but I still really enjoyed this movie and thought it had a lot of really great things and like I said Jack Jack to me stole the show and I'm glad he did because they led up to in the last movie him having all these powers yeah and that he's sort of all of their powers individually combined into one person and some other stuff that they don't have like laser eyes um and the fact that (laughs) his dad can spank his bottom and shoot lasers out his eyes is hilarious (laughs) um but it you know, there's also all of these really big messages to it that we talked about that um, you're really surprised you're seeing in a, a Pixar movie technically for children. Um, so I, I still rate it high, just not quite as high as the last movie. And I give it about a, a seven out of 10 for me. Um, but I, like I said, with a lot of love behind it, it just mm-hmm. was um, feeling like the exposition went a little long before we got to the point. 
Um, but then thinking, well, maybe it had to be because it had been 14 years since the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, then, like I said, a, a little bit at times going a little too far um, overly feminist because you can be feminist, which is, you know, equal treatment of women without going so far that you're like, you know, Bob's just jealous of her. So I, for those reasons, I take a little bit off of it, but otherwise everything was amazing. You know, um, it, it's funny. Uh, it was something we didn't mention. And one of the things that I thought was so smart about the whole Jack-Jack thing was this idea of he, the reason he has all of these powers is because he is a child. And they, they, they talk about the idea that, uh, you know, a, a super has access to more powers when they're younger and then they they slowly like your your life your and your body as you grow it slowly um whittles them down uh you know in the same way where um we're born with all of this potential you know and uh we kind of continually grow to where we have certain skills that we become better and better at and some that we don't, you know? And so I just thought, I thought that was really kind of cute the way that they talked about this whole idea of like, we're all born with incredible potential, you know, like kids have the ability to learn other languages much faster than adults do. Mm, good point. You know, because their brain is in development. And so it was very, it was awesome to kind of see uh, that happening with, Jack Jack, you know, and then just kind of playing that out. I just thought that was really neat. And so, uh, you know, the, the, everything that we've talked about in this movie, to me, it's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating that it's all in an animated kids movie. And I really enjoyed this movie. I did not enjoy it as much as the first movie. And, and I'm actually right there with you. I do. I think this is a 7 out of 10 uh, as a movie. Um, it's not perfect, but it sure is a heck of a lot of fun. And it may be one of the best superhero movies you see this year. Um, it really is. It's got some, um, I thought it just, the action set pieces were fun and well done. And I, I would say I probably, I mean, I could be anathema for people. But I had a better time in this movie than I did as a superhero movie than I did Avengers. So, uh, you know, but that's just my personal opinion. So mm -hmm. take it or leave it. Um, but yeah, it just it's a really fun movie. So uh, and I, I kind of I kind of hope they'll make one more and make a trilogy out of it. Mm, that would be interesting. I think that could be fun. So I, I think that you could do one more really good story with them and then just let it go. Yeah. So. Um, but super glad that we got a chance to talk about it. It's been a blast. Uh, thank you to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for supporting the network and the 602 Club as associate producers here through Patreon. It is, it, it's a, it's an expensive enterprise to put all this together. Um, and there's no way that we can put all of the shows out that we do each and every week without your help. So go over to patreon.com 
slash TrekFM. See how you can be part of the team. We have some great contribution levels you can give at to get extra perks. Um, but honestly, every little bit helps. It truly does. So again, patreon.com slash TrekFM is the place to go to find out more and to become part of the Trek FM team. Uh, Christy, thank you so much for coming back. It's been so much fun getting to talk through this with you. Uh, where can everybody find you if they want to catch up with you about some Incredibles or see what's going on in the geek fashion world? Sure, you're welcome. Thank you for having me back to talk Incredibles. Um, and you can find me on Galactic Fashion, the podcast I host monthly with my friend Teresa Delgado. And uh, we actually just went through all of our updates after both of us got to meet Ashley Eckstein again at her book signing. So uh, if you guys have a signing in your town coming up, make sure you go to that. Um, you'll have to be there early because they give out a limited number of wristbands and you have to have the wristband to do the signing. Um, and we're going to be talking about, uh, they've teased a Clone Wars collection coming up soon. So we'll be talking about that before long. Um, but anyway, stay tuned for that at Galactic Fashion Pod on Twitter and Galactic Fashion on Instagram. And then you can find me personally on both of those at Bespin Bell. Yes, and you should because it is a lot of fun. I have to heartily agree with you. I got to meet Ashley X time, and she is 100% joy. Uh, one of the absolute nicest people I have ever met. And yes, her company, her universe, which is now kind of branching off into our universe, makes fantastic stuff. So... I and and I mean my wife and I both have stuff from them. So yeah, they're not sponsoring the show, but but they also have saying. Incredibles gear now as well. Yes, they do have Incredibles <laughs> gear. So go check it out. Um, that one was free for you, Ashley. But you can find us, uh, find me all over the place on Twitter, Matt Rushing Zero Two. I'm on uh, Instagram under the same name. You can find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network uh, with Owl Post, Drea Kaufman, as we talk through each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series, which is great. I'm on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills talking about Star Wars each and every week, which... Honestly, I can't get enough of talking to that guy about Star Wars. It's so much fun, so I hope that you will join us. And then, last but not least, I talk through films, but through a lens, and specifically the lens of faith, with my good friend Courtney over on Cinema Stories. And you can find my podcast and Christie's wherever you get your podcast. But want to say thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back down here.